Hey, grab a seat, and as you do, grab a Bible, get with me to Philippians chapter 4. If you need a Bible under a seat, you'll find a black Bible under there. And if you're new to using the Bible, open it to the beginning, find table of contents, look for this book towards the end of that table of contents called Philippians, and get uh, uh, with us there in chapter 4 of that book this morning. And as we close out um, our series of walking through this letter, um, uh, God's God's got something in store for us today. God wants something for everyone every soul sitting in here today. And what God, I believe, through this passage wants to unlock in our life is the joy that comes from a generous life. Today's message is a message on generosity. Today's message will lead us to be very quiet in here at some points, as first service drew very quiet, because anytime we come to a passage in God's word that exposes our hearts and calls us to a radical, sacrificial giving of our resources, what God does in our hearts in that moment is he kind of fillets it open and he shows us where maybe there's been too much of a reliance on the things of this earth. Maybe we've been relying more on our bank account and the size of it or lack thereof than him, Um, when God calls us and reminds us that he's called his people to a life of radical generosity, God does some heart work on us on those Sundays, and that's what God's going to do today, because here's the deal. As Paul closes his letter, as we started to see last week, he's going to close it by just saying thank you. Um, This group of Jesus followers in the city of Philippi sent a financial gift hundreds of miles to Paul while he's in a Roman prison. But something is very interesting about the way this letter closes. Um, We're given hints, we're given clues through the way Paul talks that this financial gift from the Philippians to Paul was not the first time they've done this. This wasn't like a, hey, thank you, wow, totally out of the blue that you guys would send me a gift like this in a time of need. Paul's going to go, you guys did it again. You did it again. Here I was finding myself in another season of need, and you guys stepped up again like you have from day one. See, here's the deal. From what we can tell of these Philippian Jesus followers, they totally got this thing of being radically generous with their Even the way Paul talks about it, it's almost like they got it right away after they began to follow Jesus. And so I got to learn, we have to learn from them. What did the Philippian Jesus followers understand when it came to creating such a generous heart and a generous lifestyle? What did they get that I need to get, that you need to get? Because I know some of us in here, we've maybe gone and we've crossed over the line and we've known the joy of what it means to give away generously, to meet needs that we see God raise in front of us, to give obediently back to him on a regular basis, a portion of our income. Um, others of us, if we're honest, maybe we've, uh, we've kind of put our claws tightly around um, our bank account, around our stuff, around our calendar, and we don't yet know the joy God wants to unleash in our life if we'll just release our grip and uh, walk towards him with a generous, open-handed, Lord, this is all yours anyway. What do you want me to do with it? And uh, my, pray to, my prayer today, as, as the room grows very quiet at points, as the Lord just uh, uh, ministers to our heart, my prayer is that the Spirit of God would convict us towards a generous lifestyle, not the tone of any preacher. And so let's just go before him right now and ask him to convict us of this as we get in his word. Lord, come now. Uh, We don't have to invite you here. You're already here. 
Um, God, I, I pray um, as, Lord, your word does some work towards inspiring us, towards the joy of generosity. Lord, would this not be horizontal in any nature? Would this not be transactional? Would this not be a, a oh man, I gotta be more generous thing? Lord, would this be abundantly vertical? Would we bask in the joy of your generosity poured out for us in the form of your son in such a way that it allows us to walk out of here with hands wide open to be generous in any circumstance you call us to? For some of us here in the midst of great abundance, for some of us here in the midst of great poverty, open-handed hearts, Lord, is what we want. And so God, I pray now, is your word ministers to our heart that your spirit would do the work of it. And Lord, the prayer that you know is on my heart every week, get the preacher out of the way so you can preach. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Philippians chapter four, start with me in verse 10 as we pick up the way Paul closes this letter. Uh, We taught through uh, verses 10 through 13 last week. We'll pick it up in 14, but all of this section flows together. Uh, Philippians four, verse 10 says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my, what's it say? It was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into, what's the word? Into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. I just want want you to stop there, and I want to give you the first point right off the bat here as we dive into this. Giving generously allows me to partner in kingdom work. I want you to see something right away in verse 14 of how Paul talks about what the Philippians have done here. He says, it was kind of you to share my trouble. When we come before the Lord and when we open up our hands and open up our hearts to say, Lord, I recognize every resource you have given me is ultimately yours. And I want it to be used in a way that brings you most glory. God at times will tap us on the shoulder and will say, do you see those people, that person, do you see them in their time of trouble? I want you to do something. And I love that what Paul says here is where I find myself, I find myself in the midst of my trouble. I'm the one in the prison cell. I'm the one experiencing this, uh, this negative circumstance. But what the Philippians are doing through their partnership in giving to it is they're partnering, they're, they're joining Paul in his trouble. Um, another way that that can be said, they're sharing in his trouble. They're having fellowship with him in his trouble. Now, here's the deal. 
The Philippians, I believe, understood something fundamental about the gospel. Because you and I will never naturally in our own flesh and in our own strength want to share in the trouble of people walking through financial hardship because we'll be too self-focused and consumed on our own financial picture. The Philippians understood something, I believe, about their Savior. That he was first and foremost God in the splendor of heaven. So in a way that our mind cannot even conjure up what heaven is like, the riches of it. Like, just think about that for a second. Think about what heaven is like. Think about the riches of heaven. Think about the one who sat enthroned over all of the riches of heaven and earth. And then thinking, think about him trading that to, as Pastor Corey says, take on skin, take on flesh, to come down to earth, to be born where he was born, to experience, um, to experience what it's like to physically hurt, to experience what it's like to have emotional distress, to experience what it's like to be spiritually, um, to be spiritually stressed. Think about the emptying of our Savior as the greatest act of generosity ever seen. I think the Philippians got that. And I think if we're ever going to share in the trouble of others through, the, through this partnership of giving to them in their time of need, that only happens as we're motivated by the radical act of generosity that our Savior has poured out for us. But look at what it says to go on here, and I think this is really important. And uh, verse 15, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, what's he mean by that? I believe what he means by that is when the Philippians heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, a group of them choose to follow Jesus, the church is formed in the city of Philippi, and then right from day one, he says, when I left Macedonia, when I left that region that Philippi's in, no church entered into, the word he uses is partnership. No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you, except you only. And then he says even more, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. I want us to see here, the Philippians have bought into this whole generosity in the name of Jesus thing from day one. And this gift to Paul while he's in prison in Rome, this wasn't the first time. Paul's like, you guys have done it again. You've been partners with me in kingdom building gospel work from day one. And when I found myself in seasons where um, I was praying to the Lord, you guys have stepped up and you've poured out generously on this. I want us to see something here. The power, the power of repeated compounding lifestyle of generous sacrificial giving for kingdom building. It's one, it's one thing, now uh, coming into 2017 here, it's one, thing to, uh, it's one thing to volunteer as a family at the soup kitchen on Thanksgiving. That's good. It's another thing to say, what if, what if we did this every month? The power of repeated, compounding, 
lifestyle of generosity. It's one thing um, to go, Lord, I know you call me to give to you. And when I have five bucks in my pocket and I come to church, I throw it in the bag. It's another thing to build your life around a paradigm of the Lord wants me to live only on a percentage of my income and give a percentage of my income. The power of ongoing, compounding partnership over time. A lifestyle of generosity. And every point today is tied to a, um, a fun little convicting question for all of us. And the first question tied to the first point is just this. Am I partnered with God in kingdom building work through regular giving of my resources? To just ask ourselves that question. What we see from the Philippians and what we see taught throughout Scripture is that the, that which God entrusts to us is not ultimately ours, though it feels like ours, though it sits in an account with our name on the top of it, though the deed on the house has our name on it. Everything materially that we own, it feels like it's ours, and I'm here today to love you enough to tell you it's not. It's His. And when we can get that, when we can get that, that the, ultimately the deed on the title of the house in invisible ink is read uh, the God of the universe. And invisible ink, as you check your bank app on your phone, over top of your name, it says the God of the universe, this is all his. Okay, Lord, with that in mind, I open my hands to say, I want to partner with you in the work you want to do around the world to build your kingdom in the greatest way possible. Have we opened our hands and are we partnered with God in that? And now here's what's really cool. That when we partner with God, he's glor when we give generously, he's glorified, we're blessed. I want you to see the blessing of that. Giving generously allows me to partner in kingdom work. Number two, it leads to kingdom fruit credited to my account. I want you to see something beautiful in verse 17, he says, even in Thessalonica, you sent, uh, you sent me help for my needs once and again. And then he says something really weird for a thank you note. Not that I seek the gift. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. What in the world, Paul, are you saying? Paul is writing the most unique thank you letter you'll ever see written. Remember last week, he said, hey, hey I want to I thank you all for sending this gift over to me um, in my time of need. And then he goes, not that I'm in need. I'm not in need. And he goes on to say, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now he gets here and he goes, but thank you guys so much for sharing with me, for sending this gift. But listen, my joy isn't tied to your gift. It'd be like us getting the thank you card out, grabbing a pen and going, I want to thank you so much for the gift you sent me. Not that I really needed your gift. Don't try that. What is Paul doing here? He's teaching as he says thank you. He's teaching that I want you guys to know, this is what he's saying, I want you guys to know, like none of my joy is tethered to the gift you've sent me because I've learned in whatever situation I am to just be content. Had you guys not sent me a gift, my joy would be at the same level it is as if you had sent me a gift. And he says, now even let's talk about that gift. The joy for me is not found in the gift that you've sent. He goes, the joy for me is found in knowing that because you generously sent that, your heavenly treasure is increasing. 
That's what he means when he talks about the fruit credited to your account. Uh, Scripture talks about this over and over again, and Jesus said it best. Jesus has a way of doing that. Um, In Matthew chapter 6, you'll get that in a minute here. Um, In Matthew chapter 6, he says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures where? Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves where, treasures where? Where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, I just want you to stop there and I want you to understand something. Uh, Jesus doesn't want anything from you. You know God doesn't want anything from you? Like, just get that. Oh, here we go. Message on money. God does not need one dime from us. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's not like, hey, I'm short on a change. Do you have some? Like, will you guys be gen- obedient to give? Because I'm, I'm a little short up here. He's not short. He, need, he does not need one dime from me. What he's teaching us is what he's teaching us for our own good. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth that will only last you for a max of 89, 100 years. And then rust will set in and moth will set in and people will come and steal it. He goes, I love you. I want you to make the better investment. Invest in some things that for millions and millions and millions of years, you will enjoy in the splendor of heaven. Invest in that. Like when God calls us to obedience, to open up our hands and say, Lord, this is all yours anyways. I want to give back to you out of it. I want to meet needs that you bring before me. It's because he wants something awesome for us for eternity. He he doesn't need anything from us. I'm getting passionate because I just see, I see the lack of that perspective in my own life. I see how easy it is when God calls me to be generous, to meet needs, to uh, give back to the Lord. My eyes can get so fixed on earthly treasures. I can pick up my app on my phone and I can look at my bank account multiple times a day. And there can be happiness that is tied to what direction that account is going in. And I I can tangibly go buy things and I can hold it in my hand and I can go, yes. And God's like, I want you guys to get your eyes on two accounts. There's for sure some earthly things that I'm entrusting to you, but you have to know when I call you into seasons of generosity, when I call you to be open-handed, generous with it, though you might watch your earthly account decrease through an act of giving, you have to understand there's another account and it's a better account and it's a better investment and it'll last you longer and you'll enjoy it for eternity. There's heavenly treasure credited to your account and the scripture teaches it. And it's just flat out the better investment, amen? And Paul's like, my joy in you guys giving is not that like, oh my goodness, and look at the gift they gave me. It is now like, look at the credit to your account for the way that you are generous. So um, uh, ready for convicting question number two? Am I more focused on the increase of my treasures on earth and my treasures in heaven? I want to love us enough to say if you're enamored with your treasures on earth, Enjoy it for the 80, 90, 100 years that you get it, and then it's gone. 
Friday morning, my 89-year-old grandpa went and stood before Jesus, praising God for that 89 years. Sounds like a long time. Talking to grandpa in the hospital right before that, guess what? How quick did it feel? Like the snap of a finger. The Lord's just like, I love you guys too much to let you live your life for 80, 90, or 100 years you get on this earth, maybe. Focus on using the resources I give you to build an account that will never go away. Giving generously, it allows me to partner in this kingdom work, and then it leads to this kingdom fruit credit in my account. And then um, thirdly, I want you to see this. It's an act of worship. Giving generously is an act of worship that pleases God. Look at the language of verse 18. Paul says, I've received full payment. I got your gift. I've received your payment in full. And more, um, I am well, I'm well supplied. Thank you. I'm well supplied because of it. Having received from Epaphroditus, this is the guy who brought the gift, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, and then look at the language, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Do you hear the Old Testament worship language here? This is, this is, this is um, sacrifice on altar language. Old Testament, you had animal sacrifice, you had grain sacrifice, you had drink offerings. And you got, you got to see this picture now of when an animal was sacrificed, when a drink offering was poured out, see like the smoke billowing up from that. And the, uh, you see this language throughout the course of scripture, uh, an acceptable offering, an aroma pleasing to God, an aroma that goes up as an act of worship. Now get this picture God says, hey, I've entrusted to you some resources. Will you meet a need in their life? And as you do, he goes, that's an aroma pleasing to me, an act of worship that I delight in. This whole act of worship thing is so crucial because I fear like in our modern day American Christianity, we have lost sight that giving is an act of worship. This is why we build into a worship service a time to give back to the Lord. Because it is just as much worship as singing is, and it is just as much worship as sitting under the word. When we drop in a check or whatever, or hit give online or however it works, um, God goes, that is an aroma lifted up to me as an act of worship that I delight in. Thank you for your faith that believes that I can stretch 90% or less of your income farther than you can stretch 100 of it. Thank you for your faith that in giving back to me what is already mine, you're communicating this idea that Lord, this is all mine anyway. This, we can never lose sight of giving as an act of worship. And so I just want to drive this to convicting question number three. Do I give generously as an act of worship to the Lord? Or has it become no different than paying the electric bill? Has it just become a mindless routine in my life? Do I understand when I obey the Lord to give a 
the percentage of my income he calls me to back to him, that he is worshiped in that. Do I understand when the Lord convicts me and prompts me to give to someone in need, it is an act of worship to him. And do you know what, folks? We, the, do you know the only, what's the only reason we're walking on this earth? What's the goal of our life? To glorify God. Everything that we do is for the purpose of more worship to all creator God. And this is a key part of it. Uh, last thing I want you to see, giving generously. Fourthly, it makes room for God to meet my needs for his glory. This is crucial because I think what prevents many of us who sit in this room here from actually getting in the game on living a generous life where we're, we're more focused on our standard of giving than we are our standard of living is fear. We're really fearful. Okay, if I really, if I really start to give 10%, if I really say, Lord, whatever needs you bring before me and you want me to do, I'll meet those. There's some fear. I'll go, okay, what does that mean for us and our bank account and our emergency fund? Look at what Paul does to address this. Verse 19. He says, and my God will supply every what? Do you believe that? No, 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 like Really? Don't give me the church answer. Don't give me what you know to be true cognitively. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe God will supply your every need? Now, don't miss this. And God, warning, passion coming. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I'm reading in the book of Numbers this week, just in my own time with the Lord. And um, uh, it's when God brings all the, like, the people are like, we want meat. And God's like, you want meat? All right, here we go. And he brings in all the, what is it, quail, right? Am I right? Did I get my bird right? Um, someone tell me, Bible scholar, did I get it right? All of this. And, and Moses is like, you're going to provide meat for all these people? You know, I'm like one of 600 and some thousand people. How are you going to provide meat for us? And you know what the Lord said back? Is the hand of the Lord too short? Is the hand of the Lord too short? My God, Paul talking, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, let me illustrate this because I want you to understand something really, really important. When it talks about God meeting our needs, it does not promise for God to meet all of our wants. It does not, it, here's not, here's not the teaching of this. God is not an investment strategy for you. It's not, hey, hey, Brock, um, can I put something on your heart? You know your beautiful 2006 Ford 500 with 185,000 miles on it? Nice little dent in the front quarter panel? I want you to give that to Mark, who's in need of a vehicle. Mark's really not in need of a vehicle, okay? I want you to give it to Mark. Okay, Lord, I'll do it. Keys over to Mark. Now, Lord, you got some like 2014 Ford Explorer coming back my way, right? It's not how, that's not how this works. God in his wisdom and his sovereignty can totally backfill material if he wants to on earth. But you know what supplying every need of ours in Christ Jesus might be? Hey, um, uh, 
Give your car away. All right, Lord. Yeah, enjoy one car for a season. What? I'm supplying every of yours to bring you complete contentment in a season with one vehicle. Like, God's not an investment strategy for us. He can backfill. He can meet our every need materially. But a lot of times what God will do is he'll meet our every need by giving us a season of great contentment and the lack of whatever it is he's called us to just give away. Last convicting question. And then I'm done with convicting questions. Am I running in fear from a life of generosity because I don't believe in faith that God will supply my every need? Just let that simmer in your heart. Yeah, Lord, I, I know you call me to obedient, regular giving back to you. We're not doing it because I don't see where in the budget it fits. Just say it. I don't have enough faith to believe that you can actually provide for us if we do. Just say it. But something happens. As we as people begin to saturate our heart in the gospel, that goes, the story of my Savior is a story who traded riches, a story of a Savior who traded riches for poverty, plenty for need, glory for humiliation, for the flourishing of the greater good of the kingdom, and for the flourishing of the greater good of others. I pray for our church. As God entrusts more people and more families into this church, I pray that our church, a decade from now, two decades from now, would be known less, would be known less by our standard of living and more by our standard of giving. I pray that we will find great joy and the stories of the people here who without hesitation will go, you need a car, boom, here's the keys. Really? Like, is this a joke? No joke at all. Here's the title. You need a place to live? What do you mean, what do you, mean you need a place to live? You're in our family. What do you, we got a basement, come on. Pray. And as we study the book of Acts next year, I think that's what we're going to see is just the norm of what it means to follow Jesus. And um, church, I, I hope a message like today, um, I hope a message like today has let the Lord do some convicting work on us personally. But I love how God in his wisdom, this isn't timed out. We don't plan these things. The preaching calendar is set months in advance. I love how God in his wisdom allowed us to sit under a teaching of this passage because I believe as we come to the close of 2017 and as we move to 2018, um, God is going to call us collectively as a family to live this out. And so I, I want to lay before us today a bit of a teaser of a vision that's going to be laid out for our church in 2018 um, that is going to call, I just flat out, 
no pulling punches, no like unveiling at the end, flat out, the Lord is going to call this church family to an act of radical generosity coming in the years ahead. And it's going to be sweet. And it's going to stretch us. And we're going to watch the Lord provide miraculously. But like just, I, I don't, we've kind of just operated straight up from day one, Right? I want you to know what's coming for our church in 2018. In 2018, uh, the largest vision initiative that in the history of our church is going to be laid before you. And our history is only two years and three months old, but uh, it still be the largest vision initiative in the history of our church. Um, we've been telling you that the Lord is bringing us to a place where um, it looks like you know, he keeps moving down the line of us having some land and us bring, being, coming to a place where uh, God's going to allow us the great privilege of Lord willing establishing a church home for Harvest Bible Chapel. This vision in 2018 that's coming is simply this, one sentence. It's about establishing a sending base that mobilizes ascent people. When we talk about establishing a sending base, what we're talking about is the building of a facility for us to go from being portable church. And uh, do we love the school? Do we love the school? Yes. Do we love one day being able to have a home for our church? Yes. We do. We do. We're so grateful for this. But uh, 2018, it appears to be, as our elders and our pastors look at what God is doing, uh, appears to be the year the Lord is, is going to call us to plant the flag in the land and to begin the process of uh, excitedly and joyfully um, seeking him and the establishing of a sending base for our church. Now, here's the deal. Uh, we're calling it a sending base intentionally. We believe convictionally that God does not want us to set up a church home so that we can just come every Sunday and have a holy huddle and just be really comfortable together and just do our thing. And then we just leave and we come back and have our holy huddle next week. This has to be ascending base. This has to be about more disciples made for Jesus Christ, deeper disciples made for Jesus Christ, and then all of us being equipped every single week to go back to mobilize into our neighborhoods and our workplaces and our family and our friends to make disciples of Jesus Christ. This facility is only as good as it facilitates the Great Commission. We all got to get on board with that. Can I get an Amen. We all got to get on board with that. This cannot be about just the establishment of a building. But uh, great collaboration on, is ongoing with the school district. God continues to just pave the way. We have architects in in a week and a half to meet with our staff and our elders. Initial design work will begin. We'll get renderings before you all early in 2018. Um, but church family, uh, there will come a day where we have to say um, it's time for us to go. 2018 appears to be the year where we say it's time for us to go. It's time to take the land and it's time to establish a home base for vertical church, bold preaching, vertical worship, disciple making on the South Side. Are you ready to go? Are you ready to go? Um, that first part of the vision is only as good as it facilitates the second part. The establishing of ascending base that mobilizes ascent people. Uh, God in his wisdom is going to have us walking through the book of Acts in 2018 as we go through this. Um, the book of Acts is very simple. Um, more disciples, deeper disciples made for the glory of God. 
And we need to focus as a church family next year on what it means for us to mobilize disciple makers. Here's the deal. I think what we've done in our culture for too long is we've farmed out disciple making to like missions organizations and church programs when God is going, I've called you to be a disciple maker. I want you to make this up. I've, I've strategically put you in a neighborhood, put you in a workplace, put you among friends, put you among family. You are called to make disciples. The Great Commission is a personal call. And I know some of us are like, but I don't feel equipped for that. I don't know how to share my faith. And what if they come to know Jesus? So what do I do then? That's 2018 as we walk through the book of Acts. It's about all of us equipped to be disciple makers. It's about all of us living out the Great Commission individually as we live it out collectively as a church. Uh, 2018 and beyond will be about mobilizing us into small groups. Um, Our church is growing at a rate that we have to multiply small groups at the rate that's just like astronomical right now. But it's so crucial that all of us see the need as we study the book of Acts to sit in a living room with other believers and do life in community. If you think you can grow to, uh, to be everything Jesus wants you to be as a solo Christian, You can't. We have to do life together as a family. And that's really hard to do with like over 800 people now in two services. Um, It's much easier to do when we're sitting in a living room during the week with like-minded brothers and sisters, holding each other accountable, pushing each other towards fervent following of Jesus. That's gonna be a huge focus for us moving forward. But then thirdly, um, this facility has to help us in the coming years, in the coming decades, mobilize more churches. Church, um, this may be news to some of you. If you're new here, it's probably not news if you've been around here. We must be a church planting church. We believe scripture calls churches to be church planting churches. We believe the hope of the world is Jesus Christ. We believe the hope of the world is Jesus Christ. And we believe in the Bible, the vehicle he's called to deliver that hope is the local church. And we have to be a church about mobilizing more churches locally even. Do you want to hear an audacious vision we have for central Indiana? Every neighborhood in central Indiana has a vertical church in it. Every neighborhood. Every neighborhood in central Indiana has a vertical church in it. That when people, people should be able to go to a, vert, what do you mean by vertical church? Um, it's the four pillars that our church is built off that focus solely on church is ultimately about God's glory because church is ultimately about God's glory. Nothing short of it. Every neighborhood gets to experience vertical church in their neighborhood. And we're not saying we have the corner of the market on that. We're just beginning the initial work of laying out a whole um, vision of central Indiana and breaking them into neighborhood pockets and going, what vertical work is already there? Check the box. We don't have to focus there. But then we take this vision and we go, there's need for churches to be planted right here around us. We're moving towards that with getting a church planted in the urban core of Indy, a neighborhood in need of a vertical church there. Um, There's been a group of people who've even even come recently who said, hey, we've been kind of watching what God's doing here and we live 30 minutes away and a lot of us have been driving up here, but how do we go about putting a church like this in our neighborhood? 
And we're just opening our hands and saying, God, if you want us to be a part of that, we want to be obedient. Church, you got to hear this. And I hope so much this rallies some of your hearts. And and if if it doesn't, some of you are like repelled by this vision and you're like, I don't want to be a part of a church like that. That's okay. That's why there's a lot of churches out there. We have no grandiose visions of making this the next mega church thing in, 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 in Indianapolis. We have every intention of this being a sending base to launch churches out of here in neighborhoods where people do life. So as they invite the people they're doing life with to a vibrant church, it's right there in their neighborhood. Chew on that. That's got your wheels spinning. I can see it. But we want to be a church planning church. The Great Commission is not just a local thing, though. The Great Commission is a global thing. Over uh, 2018 and beyond, we're beginning a strategic plan to identify strategic countries on each continent around the world. We want to look and we want to say, Lord, um, what are some strategic countries we can partner with on these continents? And then once we identify a country, where are the strategic partner indigenous native church plants on, in that country? that we can then come alongside as a church family and we can equip them for more disciple-making and more church planting in their country and continent. And so we uh, will be working on a strategic plan to come alongside these native churches and these partner countries. And um, I cannot wait. I cannot wait for us to be able to get on the ground in these countries. I can't wait to go and uh, equip them for greater disciple-making and VBS and all those things and those partner countries and those partner churches. But we want to be about church planting, not just locally, but globally as well. This is our mission strategy. We believe that the mission of missions is the church and the mission of the church is missions. Chew on that. The mission of the church is missions. The mission of missions is the church. It's one of our driving heartbeats here for our missions strategy. So here's the deal. I hope you saw just in that vision, as we look to go home to a facility in 2018 that we believe will start and will ongo in the years from there. Um, It can't just be about the building of the building. It has to be about how that building will facilitate greater church building across the globe. Amen? And so I just want to lay three things before you. Okay, what what should I be doing now in preparation? Uh, Today's just the movie trailer. It's just the teaser. It should raise some excitement. It should raise some questions. In 2018, the full vision is laid out, probably about springtime. It'll launch us into a capital campaign as a church family that we'll be called to sacrificially give towards in order to execute this vision. But three things uh, we can take action on right now as a church family in preparation for that. The first one is this. Begin to ask God to make you a goer. The first action is we're going to need to go. The Great Commission says, go into all the world. And this is going to play out in all different ways. As we identify countries around the globe, there's going to be short-term mission trip opportunities. We got to be able to, we got to be willing to go to those. This, has, this means we got to get our heart ready to be a goer and be a disciple maker. No more shrinking back from being bold in the witness for Jesus Christ. Literally life and death hang in the balance for the people we work, live with, work with, and do life with. 
And then there will come times in the coming years and decades where we'll stand up and go, hey, the next church we're planning is in such and such an area, and God's going to move in your heart to go, maybe he's calling us to go help get that church going in that neighborhood. Would we begin to ask the Lord to cultivate in our heart a spirit of going? I just heard a a local pastor say it. I loved it. He said, do you want to know the only time that people typically think about going? It's when they wake up on Sunday morning and ask the question, and what they mean is, should I go to church today? What if we changed that culture where our people are asking the question, should I go? God, are you calling me to go? Are you calling me to go? That type of culture in our church moving forward. Number two is this, um, uh, give. God is calling us to a season of radical generosity that we hope just becomes the norm of our church moving uh, forward. Um, And as 2017 comes to a close, we have a great opportunity to give kind of a kick-starting year-end gift to this vision that'll be laid out in full in 2018. Um, Every dollar that's brought in this month above and beyond our operating budget is going right to the facilitating of this vision we just talked about to the helping of the establishing of a building right across the football field, of getting our church planting efforts in the inner city and beyond uh, going. Every dollar above that at the close of this year is just going right to this vision that will be um, laid out in full in 2018. And so in a season of you uh, getting all of the year-end, state, uh, year-end letters, of would you consider a year-end gift? We're just asking you to go home and ask the Lord, what would it look like to be a part of a kickstarting effort for this vision? And then lastly, and most importantly, would you pray? And I mean that, that is not a tag on at the end. That's not a like, here's all these other things. And then, oh, let's tag on pray because we have to say that. If God allows our church to execute this vision in which we believe he's called us to, church, we have to hit our knees and pray. The enemy will not take kind to this. Would you pray that the eyes of this church and the ears of this church and the heart of this church stay firmly fixed and centered on the person of Jesus Christ. Would these big initiatives never deviate our eyes and get the focus on ministry when it should be just solely on Jesus? Would you pray that the heartbeat of our church, would you pray for the unity of this place? Would you pray for the leader, spiritual leadership of this place? We are going into a season that God is going to do some massive things before our eyes. The enemy's gonna not like it. He's gonna hate it. And we have to be a praying people. Deal? So church family, stand with me. As 2017 comes to a close and the Lord presents a passage like this in front of us, we know what's ahead We know some big things that God has called us to. We know this is a big vision, but here's the deal. What more exciting time do we have to be a part of a church than these days right here? If God allows us to be the group of seed planters to put a facility on the other side of that football field, guess what? One day, long after we've gone, we pray that the word is still being preached and Jesus is still being worshiped and disciples are still being made. We have an opportunity to partner with God in the kingdom work he wants to do. I pray that we'd go before him and let him stretch us and convict us and show us how he wants us to be part of that. Harvest, we love you. We love making disciples with you. We love seeing what, God's gonna, what God has done in this place and we love seeing what God is going to do in this place. We can't wait to celebrate some Christmas with you over the next coming weeks. You're loved. We'll see you next Sunday.